0: Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 9 tonight as we continue our series in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just quickly review because chapters 8 and 9 are a unit. They should go together, but I didn't think that last week you would want to sit here for an hour and a half. So I broke it up into two weeks. But let me give you the backdrop again of, of what's going on here. Many of the saints in Jerusalem who've accepted Jesus Christ as as their Savior, Jews, obviously, have gone through some severe persecution and suffering to the point where they are really suffering financially. They're suffering materially. They have had to give up an awful lot to follow Jesus Christ. And God, through His Spirit, impresses upon Gentile churches now, Gentile churches, to rally together and to take up a great collection in order to meet the needs of these Jerusalem saints and encourage their hearts. And, and so we see how important it is for churches not only to be unified within themselves as a church, but to learn how to cooperate with other churches in order to even do greater things than they could do on their own. And so that's what Paul talked about last week. And how the churches in Macedonia sort of sort of set the tone. Remember the church at Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. They were the churches in northern Greece. Achaia was where Corinth was in southern Greece. And so Paul was using the example of how these Macedonian churches, out of extreme poverty have really been so generous in giving to the Jerusalem saints and contributing to this offering, if you will, that's being taken up. And so Paul was using them as sort of a motivation and inspiration uh, to rally the Corinthians to keep on doing what they had all intended to do as well and to be just as generous as the churches in Macedonia. Now last week we said that the key to all this is being receptive to God's grace in our lives. Whether you're talking about being generous or whatever you're talking about, our Christian life must be lived in response to God's grace. In other words, as God pours out His grace, we, instead of rejecting it and pushing it away, we need to receive it. Because God's Word said that His grace is sufficient for everything. And if we will simply learn to live by His grace, by depending on Him, by humbling ourselves before Him and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need You. And when we do that and depend on God and learn to depend upon God each and every moment of the day, we will live in God's grace and be able to deal with anything. And Paul reemphasizes this, not only in chapter 8, but once again in chapter 9. So before we start in verse 1, I'd like you to look at what I think is the key verse of the entire chapter. It's verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. In fact, tonight, if there was a verse that I could encourage you to memorize or meditate on the rest of this week, or maybe even in the weeks to come, a a verse that that would be applicable to every facet of your Christian life and mine it would be second corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 cuz notice what paul says god is able god has the power and the strength to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way At all times, you will overflow in every good work. Don't miss what Paul's teaching us there. When he says God's overflowing grace is poured out into our lives, notice, even based upon last week in the Macedonian churches, he's not saying that God pours out all these necessarily material blessings, because we know that last week these Macedonian churches were giving generously out of extreme poverty. So it wasn't how much they gave. It was evidence, though, that God's grace was operating in their lives, that they were generous at all. It was showing that what they had physically and materially really didn't matter when they were receptive of God's grace. They were going to be generous because God's grace was being received. And what Paul's teaching here can, again, apply to every facet of our Christian life you and I have to realize that God's grace will overflow in our lives so that at all times, notice, we believe that we have enough of everything, in every way, and at all times. In other words, there's not a moment in our life where we don't know that we have enough because we have God and we have His grace. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. In other words, Paul wants Christians to get to the point as we live in God's grace to know the sufficiency that we have through that grace, to know the contentment we should have through that grace, to know that we are complete because of that grace. And instead of looking for something more, I just need to rest in what I already have. I already have everything I need through the grace of God. God's grace will give me everything I need at all times in every way. And God does this and pours out His grace in that way. Notice, so in turn we can be a blessing to others. So that we can turn around and overflow with every good work. That's what Paul's really basing everything that he said in these two chapters on this generous gift to the Jerusalem saints on. The fact that these churches want to do this, are willing to do this, are begging to do this like we saw last week because it is an evidence of God's grace. So with that said, as I studied this passage, there were a few words that Paul also talked about in chapter 8 that I want to lift out for us tonight. Now, you may study this passage in this chapter and you may get something totally different out of it. That's cool. That's the way God's word is. But I just want to share with you what God impressed upon me as I studied this passage in relationship to this gift that was being collected and the grace of God that was being poured out. Some things to keep in mind. First of all, back in verse 1, Paul tells the Corinthians, It is not necessary for me to write to you about this service to the saints, because I know your eagerness to help. I want to talk about the word service because it's a word that Paul used in chapter 8, and it's now back in chapter 9. And what Paul is teaching us here is, again, when you and I are receptive to God's grace, we're going to be more open to serve God. And and service here, this word is a very interesting word. It has three shades of meaning I want to bring before us tonight. The first is that the word in the Greek means to execute the commands of another. In other words, the implication is, when I'm serving God, I'm not trying to push and promote my own agenda. That's not service from God's perspective. When I'm serving God, I'm looking to God saying, God, what do you want me to do? Not what I want, God, but what do you want? That's the essence of service. And many times Christians are trying to serve the Lord in doing what they want, but not necessarily what God wants them to do. Service must start with the attitude, say, that Isaiah had. After he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what did he say? Here am I, Lord, send me (laughs) whatever you want. What did Saul on the road to Damascus when he saw the Lord? He he basically said, Okay, Lord, I, I recognize you for who you are. Whatever you want, here I am. See, that that's the attitude of service. And many times we as God's followers do struggle with doing His will rather than our own. I think of somebody like Jonah. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to those people because they will repent. And I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jonah didn't want any parts of it because he hated the Ninevites. He was prejudiced in his heart against the Ninevites and did not want to see God's grace extended to them. So he ran the other way. He wasn't serving God at that moment. He was obviously all about him. So service, we must remember, is about executing the commands of God. It's about doing God's will, not ours. The second thing that this word means is that we look at others in a whole different way. That because of our love for others, we have such a willingness to help and to serve and to minister, if you will, to them. Take the example of Jesus when he wrapped a towel around himself and washed his disciples' feet as an example for all of his followers to follow. This word implies that not only am I executing the commands of another, but my love and affection for others always is going to make me willing to help To serve, to minister, that's what the word means. And the final shade of meaning is that this word also implies that there will always be some personal cost to service. In fact, he emphasizes that, look at verse 12 for just a second. Paul says, because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanks to God. The word service there in verse 12 talks about the cost involved. Again, many today seek to serve God and do His will without it costing them anything. Without any kind of sacrifice. And we're going to bring that about in a little bit, but Paul is reminding the Corinthians and and us tonight that this service, this act of service, of collecting a great offering and giving it, to the saints in Jerusalem, that was God's idea. God prompted that. Second of all, it was also willingly done because they had a love and affection for saints that they had never even seen. And let's again also remember that one of the reasons why I think God prompted this is He wanted to create unity in His body. And this was a great way for Gentile churches to help Jewish saints and then in turn hopefully down the road these Jewish saints would help Gentile believers and again that there would be no schism or division in the body between Jew and Gentile but everyone would be one in Christ so notice he goes on in verse 2 to say because I know your eagerness to help there's the second word the word eagerness It talks about our enthusiasm, in a sense, our passion. Notice he says, I know your eagerness to help. I keep boasting to the Macedonians, the churches in Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea, about this eagerness of yours, that Achaia has been ready to give since last year, and your zeal to participate has stirred up most of them. That word zeal in verse 2, same word as eagerness in verse 2. It speaks about their enthusiasm. In fact, in the Greek language, it literally means burning. That's another key. When God's grace is operating in our lives, not only will there be a willingness to serve, true service, executing the commands of another, out of love and affection for others, caring about them and meeting their needs and a willingness to help, But also a willingness to cost. A willingness to sacrifice when God's grace is evident in our lives. And the second thing is, God's grace will stir up within us this fire, this burning, this passion, this enthusiasm for something. It's too often lacking today in the church that sometimes you can't get Christians excited or enthusiastic about anything. It's one of the things I try to encourage Christians, though, with is follow your passion. What are you burning about? What What is it that that just, you know, lights your fire? We've tried to even model that here at the church. I think every church should model that. That the folks that we have in positions of leadership, the reason that they are in those particular places is because they have a God-passion for that particular thing. I know it comes as a great surprise to many of you, but Nicole has a real passion for worship. And Crystal has a great passion for children. And Pastor Chad obviously has a great passion for youth. And Marcia for women's ministry, and Woody for men, and on and on we could go. Folks, that's where it starts. When we allow God's grace to, be in, to begin to fill our lives his grace is going to give us a burning passion an enthusiasm for something for someone in our lives that's what god's grace does and then i want to talk about this word ready that we saw in verse two when he says that a has been ready to give since last year and your zeal to participate has stirred up most of them But I am sending, verse 3, these brothers, so that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that you may be ready, just as I kept telling them. The word ready here means to be prepared, to be available. In other words, think of it this way. When God's grace is operating in our lives, we basically say, God, I'm available. And as God's grace increases... We make that availability 24-7. We don't say, God, I'm available between the hours of 2 and 3 on Saturday afternoon, because that's when everything in my schedule works out for me, so I'm giving you that hour. I'm not saying God might not (laughs) use you in that hour. But all I'm saying is, when we don't make ourselves available to God, period, we're, all we're doing is limiting the blessings and, that, that could come to our lives by just saying, God, I make my, I'm ready. And it might not be convenient for me, but when God's grace is operating in our lives, we understand that needs out there don't necessarily always fit into my schedule. And God's timing isn't always my timing. And so when God's grace is operating in my life, I'm going to have the attitude, God, I'm ready whenever you're ready. I'm prepared whenever you're prepared. I make myself available whenever you want me to be available. Paul said the same thing to the Romans when he was writing to them. He said, I'm ready to come to Rome. I've made myself available. That's part of how we see God's grace operating in our lives. And we see this happening with them collecting this gift. Man, these folks were ready. They had made themselves available. And notice when, when God's grace is operating in Christians' lives, what ends up happening? We end up strengthening and stirring up other believers. In fact, that's another reason why the Bible tells us we should sing. Do you know that the Bible tells us we should sing because not only does it strengthen us, but it builds up other believers when they hear us singing? And notice what Paul says about the way God's grace was operating in their lives here in Macedonia. He says back in verse 2, you had been ready to give since last year and your zeal, your enthusiasm, your burning to participate has stirred up, well, I can't say all of them, because there are some believers, you could put a firecracker underneath of them, and I don't think they're going to get stirred by anything. But notice Paul does say, the way you did this, the passion that you had, the burning that you had, the enthusiasm you had, it caught. It caught on. It stirred up other believers to participate as well. And isn't this what the Bible teaches us? You don't have to turn there. You probably know these verses pretty well, but let me read them to you from the book of Hebrews. If I can find the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 24. Let us take thought, Christians, of how to spur one another on to love and good works. Basically, how to stir each other up. Verse 25. Not abandoning our own meetings, because how can we stir each other up if we're never together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more so because you see the day drawing near. See, the writer of Hebrews says, Christians should even be very intentional. Take thought of how to stir one another up. That's how God wants us to live. And when we're receiving God's grace, and God's grace is evident in our lives... We're not going to have to, like, put on. We just be ourselves and let God's grace overflow from us, and it's going to start touching others. And the passion and the enthusiasm and all of that that they begin to see in our lives eventually is going to, not all, but some. Some are going to be stirred up by what they see in our lives. And that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. So notice verse 4 of chapter 9. For if any of the Macedonians should come with me and find that you are not ready to give, we would be humiliated, not to mention you by this confidence we had in you. Therefore I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you in advance and to arrange ahead of time this generous contribution you had promised. So this may be ready as a generous gift and not as something you feel forced to do. Paul could never be accused of overcommunicating, even in that day when it was harder to communicate. And not wanting this to be pulled off, and so maybe a little bit of extra preparation was needed. Maybe some would say, Paul, you were a little bit overly you know, prepared or concerned about this. But again, Paul knew this. He knew that this gift was so important. Not the money. The money wasn't the issue. This gift that was being collected by these Gentile churches for these Jewish saints in Jerusalem was going to go much further. It was much bigger than just a monetary gift, you see. And because Paul knew the importance of this, he wanted to make sure that these churches didn't drop the ball. On this, he wanted to make sure that they followed through with what they said they were going to do. And it almost makes me feel good because obviously, even back in Paul's day, Christians and churches sometimes didn't follow through with what they said they were going to do. And so Paul's like, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to send sort of a point team ahead of time. I'm going to send them ahead before we ever get there and come through to actually, you know, take it and then take it to Jerusalem. I'm going to send a team ahead because I want to make sure that when we get there, we don't show up. And then it's like, oh, we don't have anything. Paul didn't want that to happen here. It was too vital. It was too important to see the ball dropped. A couple things. The words generous contribution and generous gift in verse 5 is literally the Greek word charis, grace. We talked about this. Anytime you see the word generous or generosity or generous gift or generous contribution in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's the Greek word charis, which means grace. Again, Paul is simply saying, our generosity, if at all, is always in response to God's grace in our lives. If we're responding to God's grace, we'll be generous. We'll be generous. That's just a result of God's grace in our lives. We as a church never have to think about, you know, begging for money or asking for money. All we have to do is create an environment where God's grace is there and God's grace takes care of it. God's grace touches saints' hearts. They give because God's grace is operating in their life. Not because some pastor stands up and says, hey, we need your money. You see, that's what the Bible teaches. Now notice what Paul says, verse 6. My point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The next key word, sow. Sow. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's simply saying, look, just like a farmer, if a farmer only plants one seed, then he can't expect much of a harvest. You know, he can't be surprised, like, he goes out like, well, where's my big harvest? If he only planted one seed. And very interestingly, the word sow here, in the Greek, means to extend myself. Not just scatter seed, It means to extend myself. And so what I think biblically, principally, applicably, what this is simply teaching is this. The more I'm willing to extend myself, the further God can use me to obviously touch other people's lives. If my world is simply that big and I don't allow to get out of my comfort zone, and I never allow God to extend me beyond this little portion of field, then I'm not going to see a harvest any bigger than that little two-by-two piece of property. If I allow God to extend me, and stretch me, and I am willing to sow and scatter a little bit, then obviously the harvest is going to be much greater. And so what God impressed upon me was this. And I'm going to challenge you with the same. What is it that God wants to extend in me right now? How does God want to extend me? Where or what does God want to sow me and scatter me that maybe up to this point I've been wrestling, fighting, struggling with. And yet, the Bible clearly says, when God's grace is evident in our lives, we will be willing to be extended. We will be willing to get out of our comfort zones when God's grace is operating in our lives. Think about Peter walking on water. That certainly wasn't in a human being's comfort zone. But it was an example of what any human being can do when we live by God's grace rather than our own power and strength. And and Peter at least had to be willing to extend himself when Jesus said, come on, Peter, get out of the boat. How does God maybe want you personally to get out of that little boat that you have found yourself in and up to this point not willing to be extended? Because God does want to stretch us and extend us. Now, in the principle of giving, notice these very important principles. Verse 7. Each one of you should give just as he decided in his own heart. How you purpose. How you choose. Your preference. That's what the Bible teaches. Then he goes on to say, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. In other words, not out of duty, not out of expectations from others, not some pastor, you know, making you feel guilty. No. You and I give as we respond to God's grace and decide within our own heart. And then Paul adds this. The reason why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. It simply means God's intent, God's desire is not that when we give or we're generous about anything, whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasure, that we give it reluctantly and we're just doing it again out of a sense of duty. God wants us to truly love to do what we're doing. And, and the word cheerful here means joyful, but it also means prompt, which I think is important. Because sometimes if we're not prompt in giving something, that opportunity passes by. We, we can't always procrastinate in our generosity or our extension of ourselves because sometimes those opportunities are only for a particular season. And we've got to learn through God's grace to seize those seasons of opportunity when they come. And then of course... He adds verse 8 that we talked about earlier. That God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Many Christians live as if they don't have enough. That somehow God's grace is not sufficient. It goes back again to Psalm 23. When I'm living by God's grace, I can truly recite what David said. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't lack anything when I'm following God. I might not have everything I want, but according to God's word, I will have everything I need and my God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. So when we live by God's grace, you'll know you're living by God's grace and receiving God's grace because you'll be content. You'll feel sufficient. You won't feel like you're lacking or deprived, or deficient. Because it's by God's grace that we do what we do. That's why Paul said, by the grace of God I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Because it's not in our own power and strength, in our own wisdom, in our own wit. It's all by God's grace that we live, we breathe, we move, we have our being, and we serve Him. Verse 9. Just as it is written, he has scattered widely, speaking of God, literally he dispensed his blessings over a broad region. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now God, notice, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Wow, what a promise. And God even says, look, don't be concerned about the seed. Don't be concerned about it. Whatever I want to extend through you, I'll supply it. We don't even have to come up with it because it all comes from God anyway, God says. And if God wants you to be able to meet a particular need, then He'll supply you with the seed to do it. If He hasn't supplied you with the seed to do it, Then maybe God wants to use somebody else to meet that need, or maybe for some other reason, there's a reason why there's a delay in meeting that particular need. Verse 11, you will be enriched, furnished in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. Remember again the word generous, charis. You can be an evidence of God's grace on every occasion which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. That's another evidence that God's grace is, ava- is, is evident, is that not only are needs being met, and people being willing to extend themselves and meet needs and all of that, but the thanks, the praise, the celebration, all of that goes to God, not to man. That's when God's grace is evident. When man begins to take credit for it, then that's not grace. That's not a recognition of, of God's grace. So he goes on to say, verse 12, because the service of the ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanks to God. Through the evidence of this service, they will glorify God because of your obedience to your confession in the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your sharing with them and with everyone. The next key word, verse 13, the word sharing. Sharing. It's a familiar word to many Christians. It's the word koinonia. And again, this is a word that Paul uses much in chapters 8 and 9. It talks about being a participant, about being in fellowship, being in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice, isn't it the first time that Paul's talked about this? If you go back up to verse 2, when he talked about your zeal to participate. Koinonia. And many Christians think, well, koinonia fellowship is just Christians hanging out with each other. No, that's that's a part of it. But a bigger part of it is knowing that, that there's an extension, that there's a bond, that there's a binding between Christians sometimes that we haven't even met when we allow God to extend us to others. You think about what was going on here. These Macedonian Christians in Corinth had never met the Jerusalem saints. And yet they understood that if we participate in this offering, we will be brought into fellowship, into community, into koinonia with those Christians. There will be a bond there between us through this. That's a real good understanding. And when God's grace is evident in our lives, we will be willing to enter into community, into fellowship, into communion with other believers. Again, God's grace will never draw us away from each other, God's grace will always seek to bring us as brothers and sisters in Christ together in fellowship, in community with each other one final verse verse 14 and in their prayers now he's talking about the jerusalem saints who are going to receive this offering and in their prayers on your behalf they long for you they've never seen them they don't even know their names but they have a they have a longing for them Because of the extraordinary grace God has shown to you. See, Paul says, because God gave you grace, and because you responded to God's grace, and you were so generous in meeting the needs of saints that you never even met, and how that has somehow now bonded you guys forever, those Jerusalem saints will never forget this gift. And you will always be heart to heart. Since you've went through this together and since you've allowed God to extend you to them, there will be a bond, an invisible bond that no one and nothing can break for all of eternity. And Paul says, isn't that special? And isn't that a great evidence and result of God's grace when it operates in our lives? That if we just let God extend us to others in some way, that it provides such a Foundation and depth of fellowship and community that that bond hopefully will never be broken and never be forgotten. And then, just like he did in chapter 8, he doesn't just motivate and inspire by using other human beings and other churches, but ultimately, he always comes back to the example of Christ himself. Because no one can be more generous than God, no one can outgive God. So at the end here, In verse 15, notice how Paul ends. Thanks, which by the way is also the Greek word charis, grace. We are thankful when we receive God's grace. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, unspeakable, unable to fully articulate gift. And by the way, this word gift in the original language means an offering a sacrifice. And so this is the final word I wanted to focus on tonight is that word sacrifice. Because how can we not think about Jesus and what Jesus did and how generous and giving Jesus was of himself for us? And not be somehow stirred and inspired and motivated to be giving of ourselves and generous to others in response to God's grace. How could we ever say no to a God who gave up everything for us and gave His very life for us? Paul wanted to leave the Corinthians with that final thought. Now, many times in the Bible, we don't know how the story ends, God doesn't necessarily tell us, well, how did this all end? Did, did they take up the offering and did the Corinthians participate and did they have it all ready? Guess what? The Bible gives us the answer. Go with me real quickly in closing to the book of Romans. Yeah, it's not found in Corinthians. It's found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 is where Paul shares with us how this all ended in such a great way. I want to begin reading in Romans 15, verse 25. Paul tells the Romans, But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do this. And indeed, they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are obligated also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, after I have completed this and have safely delivered this bounty to them, I will set out for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of Christ's blessings. Paul said, the churches of Achaia and Macedonia responded in such a great way that Paul said, when I got to Jerusalem, I had a bounty for them. It was a huge gift. And again, it wasn't necessarily how much the gift was. It was the fact that Christians that these saints in Jerusalem had never met were willing to extend themselves and be so generous. And let's remember, from last week, many of these churches and Christians were living in extreme poverty. But because of God's grace operating in their life, they were willing to give, even beyond their means, to minister, to extend themselves to these saints in Jerusalem. What a blessing that was, I'm sure, to the saints in Jerusalem. Again, what a bond was created between Christians when we respond to God's grace. I think all of us need to walk away from a passage and chapter like this and just keep reminding ourselves of verse 8. God is able to extend all grace to us so that it overflows in every way and at all times in our lives, so that we are able to do every good work. And to know that we have enough, because we have God's grace. We may not have everything we want, we might not be abounding in material riches, but if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and we are able to live by God's grace every day, then Paul would say, We have enough. We are sufficient. We don't lack anything. And we can look at life and the opportunities of life and even others and the needs of others in such a different way. What a dynamic! Paul has shared with us in these last couple of weeks. Let's respond to God's grace this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this supernatural influence, this supernatural empowerment and enablement that flows, that overflows from you into our lives every day. And Lord, we can either receive it, and rise above the circumstances of life, and be able to to live to Your glory, or we can push it away and reject it, and live underneath, and live defeated, and live discouraged, and live as if we're lacking and we don't ever have enough, that we never seem to be content. That we don't see the sufficiency that we have in Jesus. So God, I pray tonight that it would start with us in this room who've once again been reminded of this truth. That God, that we would realize that Your grace is sufficient. That Your grace is enough. And it makes us enough as well. Help us to live, God, by Your grace every day. Every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, before